a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. When we look at ourselves and the situation of the world, uh, God is certainly there, but he's hidden there. He's not seen there. He's not. He, he hasn't put himself there to be found. Where he puts himself to be found is on the cross. That's where we know that he loves us. So we can just as well undo God's love for us as we can go back in time and pry the nails out of Jesus' hands. We can just proclaim God's word, trust it will do what it says it will do, and no longer be, be judging the effectiveness of the, of the preached word by human standards of measurement, by, by the number of people that are there, but, but rather to just do what God told us to do, to preach the word and administer the sacraments. Charles Finney could have possibly had the ugliest face of any theologian. <laughs> Except for Brian Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Table Talk Radio. Hey. Iron oh, Preacher man. today. <laughs> a new intro bump. <laughs> and uh, a, a nice new ending soundbite for us to both laugh at week after week. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate the fact <laughs> that you get me for calling Charles Finney ugly. <laughs> All right, really well, we that. have a lot to fit in in this first segment because we're playing Iron Preacher. Before we introduce uh, our preacher and our judge, we have some recanting to do. Yes, I a couple of shows back, and and we just got your all your feedback, and thank you all you dear listeners for the feedback on this this week, um, because we the way we record and everything. But a couple shows back, when we were talking about the new perspective and playing name that theologian, I guessed D. A. Carson in place of James Dunn, uh, as a as a proponent of the new perspective, and this is when I was all at a froth on the new perspective. <laughs> but uh, and and I, I and I don't know how this got into my mind. I just didn't know. But I've been since corrected that D. A. Carson not only is he not a new perspectivist. He teaches against the new perspective. Uh, and so God be praised for that. In fact, I, I, I've since learned of all the good work that he's doing uh, to combat the uh, to combat the, this new perspective on Paul, which is a complete perversion of the gospel. So I'm a, I, I very much appreciate now the work of uh, uh, D.A. Carson, and I'm, I'm sorry if I gave the impression, if anyone's opinion of him was worsened because of my wrong guess about that. So I'm, I'm sorry. I've written it on our uh, website there. I, I think I'm going to write a letter to D.A. Carson and, and apologize to him as well, and especially thank you to all the listeners who have corrected me on that. Uh, that's very important. Whenever you hear me saying anything wrong or Evan saying anything wrong, let us know so we can make those corrections uh, uh, and and walk as children of the light. Right. Uh, and we even talked about having him on as a, maybe a table scrap. So we'll If we can get him, that would be fantastic. That'd be right. Okay. Uh, Iron Preacher is the game. This is the our homiletics game. Uh, we have two preachers preach a sermon, and then uh, we have a judge determine the winner. Our judge, as always, is Dr. Carl Frickensher. Uh, he's a professor of homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Frickensher, welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Great to be back. Thank you for the invitation. And our challenger for today is Pastor Lincoln Winter. He's a pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. Welcome, Pastor. Hello. Good to be here. Here it comes. <laughs> this gets me so excited every time. And now, it's time for Tabletop Radio's Iron Preacher. Straight from the pulpit of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora. 
Weighing in at 215 pounds, by the way. Oh, baby. <laughs> that, that's a lot of weight for you to carry, Fred. <laughs> the pulpit can barely hold me. <laughs> that's the truth. Oh, man. All right. Well, okay, well, let's get right to our text so that our preachers can begin preparing their sermons. In fact, they can do it as soon as I begin to read the text. And the text for this day is Luke 16, 1 through 13, and the reading goes like this. Now he was also saying to the disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and this steward was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. And the steward said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the stewardship away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So when I am removed from stewardship, they will receive me into their homes. And he summoned each one of the master's debtors and began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. And then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Thus far our text. All right, preachers, begin your sermon. You have the rest of the segment to prepare, uh, which is only about uh, five minutes tops. So you you better get going. All right, Dr. Fekinsher, we're continuing our discussion on homiletics. Now, uh, we've said many a time on this program that uh, the task of any preacher when he gets in the pulpit is to preach the law in its sternness and the gospel in its sweetness. Now, uh, having been through about halfway uh, through my vicarage, I have more homiletical questions for you. <laughs> Ex- Please ask. Especially so now. But I want to specifically talk about the preaching of the law. We've talked about how you don't want to preach the law in a way that it, it sounds like the, uh, that the hearer can obey the law because the law shows us our sin. Um, but is there a difficulty for a preacher who, who gets up into this pulpit and loves the people who he's preaching to, but then to to preach such harsh law on a weekly basis. No question, that that really is a challenge. And and uh, uh, in the years that I was in my two congregations, I, I loved my people dearly. And and I must say, I had wonderful congregations. You know, I, I really did not have congregations in which there were uh, uh, glaring uh, immoralities or 
or uh, apathies. They were they were wonderful congregations. Uh, the people that I would interact with every day uh, would again and again and again testify to their faith by their words and by their faithful actions. And so uh, one really could be tempted to say, well, we'll just affirm what's, what we've heard that's so good this week. I think a preacher has to remind himself what the scriptures make very clear, and that is, uh, by nature, there is no one who does good, not, not one. Uh, the people who are so very dear to us each have remaining in them that old sinful nature. Every one of us is still by nature an enemy of God. And that old Adam that we refer to, or or the old man, or the that original sinful nature, uh, corrupted totally and completely in, in Adam and Eve's fall, uh, continues to be an active force in every Christian until we get to heaven. When we look out there and see those dear people who we really love and, and who we do see, uh, acting in, in, in wonderful Christian sanctification so often, we have to look past that and say, yes, but there also is the old Adam, the uh, sinful nature, that needs to be beaten back. And in fact, one of Satan's uh, most effective deceptions would be to take a, a strong Christian and uh, and cause that strong Christian to rely on the good works that he also is able to see in his life, or she might see in her life. Uh, when we when we see God's word, His His commandments of the law, and we see that the Holy Spirit is enabling us to to live lives that are uh, really rather um, uh, admirable, the world would say, we have to realize that we are also always uh, subject to falling into sin. And what's more, uh, we really really must be reminded that even our our most righteous deeds are as sinful rags, because even as we're doing things which might outwardly be commendable, there is still inside us a selfish motivation all the time as well. In fact, uh, I think it's uh, particularly important to, to, uh, to picture what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 when he pictures the final judgment, uh, verses 31 and following. And we find that the believers in there, the, the, the people who have been set to Jesus' right hand, the ones that are referred to as the sheep, are totally unaware of the good works that Jesus cites for them. They say, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and in prison and so on and, and do these things for you? And that reminds us that those works which are truly good are, are things that the Christian does quite spontaneously, really unconsciously and automatically as a result of faith. As soon as we start looking at our own good works, taking note of those, and perhaps being a little bit uh, impressed with ourselves, or even a pastor being impressed with the, the, uh, the sanctification of his members, then we immediately run the risk of turning those good works into works of pride, which cease to be good works. All right, we're, we're out of we're time, actually, something. right there, Dr. Verkensher. Yes. So we'll see if our preachers can work that preaching of the law into their sermons in the next segment here. We're right back from Table Talk Radio from this break. We'll hear the preachers uh, for Iron Preacher in this text from Luke 16. Right back. Don't go away. The Theological Game Show, Too Outrageous for Television. 
You're listening to Table Talk Radio. A little water. A pastor there saying, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is this what baptism is really all about? Can one be saved by this act of baptism? If so, who is doing the act? Is it man's act or is it God's act? Is baptism one's first public proclamation of the faith, of the commitment, of the decision he's made? Or is baptism God's work to man to bestow forgiveness of sins and life and salvation? That is the topic of our next Table Scraps Live, and you can hear it by going to tabletalkradio.org on Sunday, January the 21st at 7 o'clock Mountain Time. That's tabletalkradio.org, February 21st, 7 o'clock Mountain Time, tabletalkradio.org. We're talking about baptism live. You can call in with your comments and questions and ask our guests about baptism. Pastor Eric Brown of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma. He got a new mercy, a new grace. Streak on a preacher with the angry face. He got two years <laughs> off for good behavior. Back in the neighborhood of working for the savior. That's two old ladies and a junkie. Now, now he can see for sure that his work is cut out. Though he walks through the shadows, he won't fear his neighbor. Back in the neighborhood of working for the savior. All right, welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are playing Iron Preacher. Before we give uh, Pastor Winter his uh, his chance to preach a sermon, Dr. Cantor, I cut you off there, and you were talking about preaching the law. Sure. And just my final thought on uh, on the, the, the very fine question you pose is, is this. Uh, a preacher needs to remember that if his people ever cease to be reminded of their inadequacy deep down, that is, the sinful nature that remains, they really are very likely to fall into relying on their own good works, so that no longer will they do good works, for the things they'll do are selfish, and even their faith in Christ itself may be jeopardized. And so, a preacher who loves his people, and may be a little shy about preaching the law, must love them enough to give them what they really need, the law, and then the magnificent gospel of forgiveness. Okay, let's see if that finds its way into Pastor Winter's sermon. Uh, Pastor Lincoln Winter is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. And now you have five minutes to preach a sermon on Luke 16, 1 through 13, whenever you're ready. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is a strange stewardship sermon by Jesus. It's one of the few teachings of Jesus that uses the word steward, and so we start to think maybe it's a stewardship sermon. But what sort of stewardship is Jesus encouraging that we lie, cheat, and steal our way into the kingdom? That certainly doesn't sound right. To understand this parable, we need to look at the context. See, Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees see this and accuse him of wasting his time with them. And so Jesus tells a number of parables in series. He starts out with the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and he tells the parable of the prodigal son, which is far more famous than this one, the prodigal son where the son goes off and lives badly and then comes back and his father forgives him. But there's a second half to that parable. There's the older son who had always stayed with his father and who is now angry at the fuss the father's making over this younger son. And 
the second son won't go into the feast and won't celebrate that this son who was dead is now alive and lost is found. And that's when Jesus tells this parable. And you know, it's a strange parable to us, but the Pharisees, were told, understood that he was talking about them and speaking against them. You see, Jesus didn't come for the righteous. You can't get Jesus' help if you're righteous, because if you're righteous, you don't need him. If you want to stand on your own before God, God will let you do that. But then you stand on your own merits, not Jesus. And your own merits won't get you anywhere. They will not get you into heaven. They will not bring you salvation. You are not forgiven for what you do. The Pharisees didn't understand this. And so they accused Jesus of wasting forgiveness on these sinners. And so Jesus tells these parables. And the point of the parable, this parable, is this. That, you know, if you've ever met a farmer, you know that farmers farm. If you've ever met someone who's dishonest, a dishonest man is dishonest. And this steward is dishonest. He's dishonest, and when he's accused of it, what does he do? He gets more dishonest. A farmer farms, a sinner sins, Jesus forgives. It's what he does. And if he's accused of wasting that forgiveness, the only thing he can do is forgive more. So just as the son in that last, in the parable of the prodigal son, says to the father, you're wasting forgiveness on this prodigal son. So the manager here is accused of wasting his master's resources. And the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of wasting his time, his efforts, and forgiveness on sinners. And so this parable is Jesus telling those Pharisees, Oh yeah, you thought that I'd wasted before? You ain't seen nothing yet. I haven't even begun to waste my time on sinners. I'm really going to waste stuff on sinners. I'm going to waste my own blood on these sinners. I'm going to waste my life on these sinners. I'm going to show that your possessions, your worldly things, don't get you into heaven. Your debt has to be canceled, and that's what I am here for, is to cancel the debt of sin, to bring forgiveness and life and salvation to sinners. So Jesus says to them, if you thought I was wasting, I'm going to go on wasting, and I'm going to waste even more on these sinners. And that's the promise that you have, that no matter how big a sinner you are, Jesus will forgive you, because it's who he is. Jesus forgives, and when faced with a big sin, Jesus is a bigger forgiver. Jesus wastes forgiveness on sinners. Thanks be to God, for that is our salvation. Amen. Amen. All right, Dr. Kincher, I will give it to you for your initial reaction. Well, first of all, I I would... um say what I think our preachers have probably been aware of for the last uh, 15 minutes or so, and that is uh, that you chose about the toughest text in the entire New Testament. Uh, the parables of Jesus are always a good challenge. In fact, they're usually much more difficult than people think. Uh, this is one that right away we realize is very, very difficult. I've preached on it a number of times, and I am not certain of the, the correct exegesis. I think if we look through detail by detail, a, almost every uh, understanding that we might offer seems to contradict certain details. And so I would say that the, uh, the exegesis, or the correct interpretation of the parable, is, is wide open. I think what a preacher needs to do, especially when he has only five minutes, is to courageously choose some interpretation and go with it. And Pastor Winter has done that very well. 
a theme that essentially says Jesus will waste forgiveness even more, uh, certainly picks up on some of the elements of this parable. I'm not sure it picks up all of them, uh, and, and how one values or put places import on the various details uh, certainly affects the ultimate conclusion as to what the central thought is. But I think this is a viable possibility. Then the next thing is to be sure that the, uh, the, the thought is expressed or the point is made clearly uh, and emphatically, and I think Pastor Winter did a, a fine job of this as well. He established a theme about halfway through his sermon uh, after he had given us, uh, back, first of all, raised a question and given us background from, from the context. And from that point on, after raising the theme, he reinforced it in a number of ways very effectively. Above all else, he declared the cross. He said he's going to waste forgiveness by the shedding of his blood. Uh, and when the cross is clearly declared, uh, a sermon is always going to be uh, powerful and, and uh, valuable to the hearers, and it's never going to be far from uh, a correct understanding, because ultimately every text in Scripture really does, in one way or another, take us back to the cross of Jesus Christ where the world was reconciled to God. And so I, I would say uh, this is a rather uh, bold stab at one of the most difficult texts in Scripture on five minutes basis. Very good. Um, Thank you. Uh, Dr. Verkensher, uh with just a, a few minutes left here, um, a- approach that as, as a preacher has a text, and as you mentioned, the, the parables. What makes the parables more difficult to preach, and how does a, a, a preacher begin to um, create this into a sermon? Parables are often misinterpreted because people fail to see that Christ, the one preaching the parable, is ultimately always the point. It's very easy to see a number of the parables as essentially good examples of things that we should do. Uh, The parable of the sower, well, let's let's be good soil instead of being rocky soil and so on. And as, as soon as we start to put ourselves in the driver's seat, as soon as we see it being primarily about us in control or us doing the actions that are uh, called for, we think, uh, then we have missed the point. The parables always point to the coming of the kingdom of God, which comes in Christ Jesus. And so, while a superficial reading of the parable uh, may present itself quite quickly, that very often is not really what Jesus has in mind. Jesus said that the parables would cause some actually to be blinded. Those who would not see him as the solution would actually be driven away, whereas those who embrace Christ as the point of all things, as the one that God has sent to be the Messiah, are drawn in to ask, well, how is this about him? What is it about this man who is speaking to us that is being brought forward here? And in that way, for those who trust in Christ and see him as the Savior, the parables are very, very enriching. And, for example, here, when we say that Jesus is going to squander or waste even more generously with forgiveness, that certainly is focusing us on Christ. And while interpreting this particular parable is, is I think, open to, to uh, variation, that certainly is a clear and emphatic truth of the Gospels. Jesus does come to lavish God's forgiveness on people who are undeserving and therefore who, who, who seem to be a waste of skin. All right. Uh, thank you, Pastor Winner, for your sermon. And uh, after this break, we are going to uh, listen to Pastor Wolfmiller's sermon and then see which one the, uh, our, our 
Table Talk Radio Iron Preacher Judge uh, decides to be the winner. Uh, before we go to this break, I do want to tell you about something coming up uh, in a couple weeks, or in about a week, I guess. This is Table Scraps Live. You know, we have on our website, tabletalkradio.org, we have various interviews in addition to our regular programming. Uh, but we're going to do a live program, Table Scraps Live, on February 21st at 8 o'clock Central Time on Baptism with Pastor Eric Brown of Zion Lutheran Church in Lahoma, Oklahoma. So just go to our website, Table Talk Radio, on the night of February 21st at 8 o'clock Central and listen to that show on baptism. Right back, we'll be right back for more Table Talk Radio's Iron Preacher and to hear Pastor Wolf Mueller's sermon right after this. Don't go away. <laughs> Table Talk Radio. The answer is always the gospel. Well, with everybody trying to tell us what to do, you wonder how are you to know whose word is true. But the preacher just keep on bringing us the very same word. And from St. Paul to Billy Graham, the same is heard. Whoa! St. <laughs> Paul and Billy Graham, what do you got going there? In the eyes of Johnny Cash, at least. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. <laughs> Playing Iron Preacher. We are uh, doing a, this homiletics game on Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. And we've heard our first sermon by Pastor Lincoln Winter of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. And now it's time for the host, co-host of Table Talk Radio, Pastor Brian Wolf, and our pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Whenever you're ready, Pastor. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Christian stewardship is really a simple matter. We don't need programs. We don't need uh, conferences. We don't need uh, all this fancy visits from consultants and things like this. Christian stewardship is simply this. It is the fact that we spend our money, uh, our money follows after what we love. And Christians love the gospel. So Christians give their money to support the preaching of the gospel so that they might hear the gospel, so that their families might hear the gospel, so that their friends might hear the gospel, and so that the entire world might hear the gospel. Now, that's very it's a, really a very simple matter. But when our Lord Jesus takes up the matter of stewardship in the text, he says that while the matter of Christian stewardship is a very simple thing, we don't always get it right. In fact... Jesus gives the example of the unrighteous steward to put us to shame. He tells the story of a steward who finds out he's going to be fired, and because he's too weak to dig and he's too embarrassed to beg, he goes to his master's clients and he cooks the books. He cuts their debt in half sometimes, or he cuts it down, and he does this so that when he's fired and put out of his stewardship that he would have friends there. Jesus says then, as the point of comparison, that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. In other words, the, the, the ungodly, the unholy, the non-Christians know what to do with their money. 
they know how to make friends with their money. They know how to, how to spend their money for their own benefit. Look at you Christians that have all of these things and you don't even know what to do with it. And so Jesus would call us, the sons of light, to repentance and to shrewdness. We should use our unrighteous mammon, the things that the Lord has given us, that we might support the preaching of the gospel and so make for ourselves friends in eternity. As Jesus says here, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail they may receive you into an everlasting home. So our Christian stewardship is really this simple matter of using the gifts that God has given to us to support the work of the gospel. But where we fail, our Lord Jesus has succeeded. In fact, he is the greatest steward of all. For he took all of the things that he had from God the Father, even his eternal life and his holiness and his righteousness, and he spent it all for our own sake, for our salvation. In fact, St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter, 9, chapter 8, verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus poured out the eternal wealth of his life so that he could have in eternity us as his friends. And this is the most marvelous stewardship and the most marvelous gift of all. Amen. Amen. All right, with time to spare, Dr. Verkincher, your review of Pastor Wolfmiller's sermon. Well, both of the sermons, and Pastor Wolfmiller did this beautifully as well, ultimately took us where we need to go, and that is to the cross. Uh, we had, once again, Jesus being the, the ultimate steward, the one who spent all, that is, his own life, so that he could have us with him in eternity. And as I said earlier, uh, when a sermon takes us to the cross, then despite the, the difficulties and the exegesis of a particular passage, it is going to be a sermon that is edifying to the congregation, because it is making, ultimately, uh, the point that Christ is making of himself in all of Scripture. Now, having said that, uh, I would say there was a strength here in Pastor Wolf Mueller's sermon that I did not detect in Pastor Winter's, and then perhaps also a weakness. I would say that Pastor Wolf Mueller grappled with the difficult detail of the text, the most difficult detail, I think, uh, where uh, Pastor Winter did not. And that was that passage which talks about spending the, the mammon now. Uh, verse 9, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. This, I think, is an exceedingly difficult verse to understand properly. Uh, Pastor Wolfmuller brought this up and worked with it, although I'm not sure, actually, that it was to the advantage of the sermon in, in its total. I think by raising that question, as difficult as it is, uh, then requires that the preacher uh, close that Pandora's box or close that, that can of worms as well. It's such a difficult verse that if it's raised, I think it needs to be dealt with a little more extensively. And, of course, time makes that a challenge. Uh, what Pastor Wolfmuller did do was ultimately to say that Jesus 
spent his life to have us with him in eternity. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that is really uh, an accurate exegesis of verse 9 of the text. And so we have an advantage here, uh, which is grappling with a difficult passage of the text, but perhaps a disadvantage in, uh, in opening a can of worms and perhaps not really resolving the issue uh, as perhaps should be. Secondly, I think Pastor Wolfmuller brought us to the cross beautifully, but I think he brought us to the cross uh, less integrally in the movement of the sermon than did Pastor Winter. Um, the transition to the cross for Pastor Wolfmuller was this. We should use our money for the spread of the gospel, but when we fail, we are forgiven by Jesus spending all. Now, there's nothing wrong with that at all, uh, but it is, of course, uh, the uh, sort of standard, most familiar transition to the cross. Here's what the law declares, when we fail, here is the resolution. And often, that really is the, the most textual approach, because often the text itself will lay the law before us without giving us a natural transition to the gospel. On the other hand, in Pastor Winter's sermon, when he went with the actual exegesis of the passage itself being squandering, wasting, that was uh, speaking in his understanding specifically of the cross. So rather than having to uh, interpret the parable primarily as law and then say, when we fail, here is the answer, it's Christ and his cross, uh, Pastor Winter actually interpreted the parable itself as pointing to the cross directly. As I said in my uh, first observations, uh, the exegesis of this text is exceedingly difficult. And, and I, for one, could never uh, give uh, a definitive and confident answer as to what every detail means. However, uh, given the two uh, approaches, I find Pastor Winters attractive in finding the gospel inherent in the parable itself rather than seeing the parable as primarily law and then transitioning uh, to the gospel uh, by essentially a linguistic handle. Oh, very good. Okay, so uh, with about a minute and a half here, you can now give your judgment. My judgment is that the Iron Preacher has done his usual outstanding job, and I underscore uh -oh. that for such uh -oh. a difficult text, <laughs> including bringing us beautifully to the cross of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And yet, I would say that Pastor Winter has the sermon which this time uh, does uh, brings us to the cross in the way that to me is the more compelling by finding the cross uh, precisely in the exegesis of the passage. My decision goes to the challenger, Pastor Winter. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Pastor Winter, chop. congratulations. Oh, That's what a karate chop sounds like in Wyoming. <laughs> My wife won't believe it. <laughs> well, uh, in these last few seconds before we go to this break, uh, we do want to say that everyone, I, I think I speak for everyone on this program right now, that we regard uh, preaching a, a high art in the church and, as a command uh, by God and, and really a, um, a, a gift to do this. Uh, so uh, to, to preach law and gospel, preach Christ crucified. And this, although the show might... Uh, appear that we take this lightly. We certainly don't, but this is just a way to illustrate how law and gospel is done. Would all of you agree with that, gentlemen? 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no okay. Question. So we and we appreciate the opportunity to illustrate it in this way. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. Frankenscher, once again for being our judge for Iron Preacher on Table Talk Radio. You bet. All right, and don't go away. We still have one more segment of Table Talk Radio where we're going to be talking with uh, Pastor Winter, the the new Iron Preacher. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to be talk to, talking to him about uh, Justin Martyr and first article apologetics. Let's see what that's all about right after this. Visit our website, Table Talk Radio. We have an, a link for all of our articles uh, about uh, preaching, also about uh, justification and the like. Even our praise song crunchers on there. So visit tabletalkradio.org. Again, stay with us through this break on Table Talk Radio. Justin Martyr and first Article Apologetics with Pastor Renter. We'll be right back. Somebody find me a preacher. Somebody find me a man with a Bible who can tie a knot. I know what I got. I know who I love. Track him down. Wake him up. Right here, right now in this Tennessee dirt. No long white dress. No little white church. Just you and your cut-off jeans and my old T-shirt. Somebody find me a preacher. Table Talk Radio. Unscripted, unprepared, unashamed. Hi, this is Evan Gigline. Thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Have you ever wanted to be a radio clown yourself? Now you can with the Table Talk Radio Reformation Glee Club membership. This is my favorite Reformation Glee Club. Really? Tell them how we uh, sign up for the Reformation Glee Club. Yeah, why don't you tell them that, Evan? Well, you just go to our website at tabletalkradio.org and click the support tab. Why don't you tell us uh, the different levels? Uh, yeah, why don't, why don't you tell them that? <laughs> okay, well, there's the radio clown, the table talk radio pietist, the iron listener, or the theological bull rider. Yeah. Why don't you favorite. tell them what we get? Uh, yeah, why, why don't you tell them that? <laughs> well, if you sign up for the Reformation Glee Club, you get table talk radio points for every dollar you donate. Oh, nice. Love those radio points. We really do appreciate all the support for Table Talk Radio so we can continue to bring you everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show. Hey, this is one from the Praise Song Cruncher. <laughs> I recognize this song. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven and Maker of Welcome to Table Talk Radio. Uh, we are uh, still on the line with Pastor Lincoln Winter of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Justin Martyr and first century apologetics. Uh, you know, the Bible says that uh, they are without excuse because they have creation to look at. They have all the things around them to see. Uh, and so this is evidence of certainly of, of a God that's greater than us. Uh, but how then do we find out who that God is and 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 whether he loves us or hates us. We're talking about first century apologetics. First article. Or, I'm sorry, did I say first century? You did. First article apologetics, hence the song about the creed that Pastor wanted to crunch. <laughs> it's kind of hard to crunch the creed. But what I would crunch about that song <laughs> is the is the kind of uh, synthesized piano in the background. <laughs> oh, God. But I'm, I'm a little grumpy now that I just lost Iron Preacher. We can tell. Mm-hmm. All right, Pastor Winter, uh, describe uh, this, the situation that Justin Martyr was in and uh, to whom he was defending the faith. Okay. Well, it's a lot like our own. Uh, Justin Martyr lived in the second century. He was born about 100 A.D. And in the time he lived, you had uh, 
a Roman Empire where you know family life was falling apart. People were getting married later or not at all. There was uh, out of wedlock childbirth, the decline of morals, the uh, rise of athletics as the main source of of inspiration and entertainment, uh, as opposed to religion. People didn't really even believe in the gods anymore, uh, the old Roman gods, and so. It's a situation very similar to our own, and Justin Martyr then is writing to a culture uh, very similar to ours. Parallel that then to our our modern society of immoral living behavior, is that that what you're saying? Yeah, you you have that. Um, You have people more dependent on the government as time goes on, the, the welfare state sort of a model. You have as I said, athletic contests become more and more important to the national consciousness, uh, the Colosseum in Rome, and so on. You know, could compare that to the Super Bowl, I suppose. Those sorts of ideas. And so the, the culture they lived in, a lot of the same sorts of ways of looking at the world, a very skeptical, very jaded culture that really didn't need religion anymore. And so Justin Martyr says it tries to bring to them the God who, who has the answer. And that's much well, the same situation the church finds itself in today. Could you tell us a little bit about more uh, more about Justin? Where was he? Where was he from? When was he born? How did sure. he uh, become he a Christian? He was born in Samaria. That's just a little bit north of Jerusalem, uh, in Israel. And he kind of moves to the west throughout his life. He ends up in Rome about 160 A.D., where he is martyred for the faith. Uh, he's actually not Samaritan or even Jewish. We think he was probably Greek, but we don't know for sure. And he's essentially a philosopher, and in fact in Rome he has a school of philosophy, and it's thought that one of the rival philosophers in Rome was the person who turned him in as a Christian and had him martyred. It was someone who did it out of envy, which isn't very nice. um, Was he uh, born, was he uh, baptized when he was a child, or did he become a Christian later in life? Yeah, he was baptized later in life, and again we're not sure exactly when he was baptized, but they figure probably about 130, so as an adult. And he has a marvelous account of him coming to faith in uh, what he calls his dialogue with Trifo, which is a conversation he had with uh, a man named Trifo, where he, uh, in that, for most of it, explains how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, But the first part of it is an account of his conversion. He meets an old man on a beach, and this old man talks to him and, and shows him that Jesus really is the, the true wisdom, and if you're a philosopher looking for wisdom, that you you really need to look to Jesus for that. Uh, okay, and, tell and us. That's kind uh, of where we get the term first article apologetics. Uh, okay, uh, teach us then uh, how he how he used the first article apologetics um, in in the in the use of giving the the true wisdom to this philosopher. Okay, when the old man meets him. He asks him, you know, what are you doing here on the beach? And Justin says, well, I'm, I like coming to the beach. It's a good place to, to think about wisdom and to ponder the mysteries of the universe. And so the man says, oh, you're a philosopher. Well, let's talk about philosophy. And he gets him not only talking about philosophy and, and what it is that he thinks is important in life, but then also about God and, and how God fits into it all, and shows him, the, the old man shows Justin that, if you want true wisdom, and if you want to seek after that, that you really need to look to the one who is wisdom. And, and the Greek word there for wisdom or reason is the word logos. And people familiar with the, the Greek New Testament know that logos is 
that's used for word in in John 1, in the beginning was the word, which is talking about Jesus. And so Justin says, you know, the true reason, the true wisdom, the true word is Jesus. And so philosophy finds its fulfillment in Jesus, says Justin. How can we take this, um, what what Justin was doing back in the second century, and and uh, and use it today? Uh, in other words, how do we do first article apologetics ourselves? Mm-hmm. By first article apologetics, I don't mean that we defend the doctrine of creation versus evolution, although that's an important thing to do, but that we start where people are in their life. Because if you talk to someone, it won't take you very long, you'll find out that there's something in the world important to them. It might be their family or their job or, in Justin's case, the search for wisdom, search for meaning in life. And and I think a lot of people are looking for meaning in life, some sort of purpose. And the world can't really give you that. But we have the answer to that. And and Justin, what he does is he shows us that you know, by looking at this idea of you know, what is the meaning of life, we, we really have an in to talk about our faith. For example, you know, are you all about family? Well, let me tell you about family and my family. And in fact, my true father, uh, God who created family and who has a son, uh, if you think your job is important, let's talk about your job, your vocation, your calling in the world, what God has called you to do. There's always a way to bring it back to what God has given us, rather than just about what I'm going to achieve in the world, which is probably not going to be very much. But in, God, in, in Christ and in God, what we do in the world does have meaning and is important because he said so and because he declared it that way, and that's the job he gave us to do. Here, here's something. I, I mean, this this idea of, I mean, the idea of starting with where people are and and perhaps what we share with all of humanity. I mean, uh, one of the things with, uh, with apologetics and with conversations with non-Christians is that we don't start from above and come and come condescending to people, but we start with the, these things that we have in common, our common humanity and even our common sinfulness. Uh, and, and I think to go from there and to have this kind of respect for the other person as a as a person, as a creature, and then to go beyond that as to have respect for the other person as someone for whom Christ has died, that this is a, a marvelous way to think about the world and to think about our neighbor. Uh, so, and, and it also gives us a common place to start. Uh, here's a quick one. What if you uh, were standing in line and someone comes up behind you and maybe you're standing in line for something outside on a sidewalk and they and they hold up their key and doot, doot, and they and they turn off their car alarm and you notice they have an, uh, some fancy nice new car and and you say to them oh nice car, uh, and, and they say oh yeah uh, thanks I just got it uh, I love it drives great, but boy I'm not sure about this debt. Uh, so, so could you show us how maybe how this would work uh, there how how, the, how you might have a conversation that would shake out from that point from that kind of first article gift, if you will, and move towards the gospel. Mm-hmm. You said debt? Yeah, debt. There, the, that's the your key. That's the word. The car. Oh, what's that? The money that they owe on the car. Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. Well, you know, God gives us possessions in the world, and we are to use those, as you said in your sermon so eloquently, you know, for the sake of the gospel, for whatever is important to us. But we have to remember, you can't take it with you. 
And so if, well, if one's worried about that, maybe you shouldn't have bought the car, but it might not be the time to mention it to it. <laughs> but that, you know, God does promise to take care of us, whether we have a car or not. And even if we have a car, it's really, a, it's really something God has given to us. And at some point, God may decide that we don't need the car and take it from us, but he, that doesn't mean he's abandoned us. Yeah. And, and in fact, you know, people worry about the, their credit rating. That's not the end of the world. They worry about uh, the, the car and the car payments. Well, those aren't the end of the world either. God promises on a daily basis to take care of us, whether we have a car or whether we have a debt or whether we have neither. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. But uh, I thank you, Pastor Winter, for b- uh, being on the program for for conquering the Iron Preacher uh, today. Walloping, walloping. <laughs> oh, no, thank you so much for being, and for the time that you've done, uh, spent with uh, Justin Martyr. It reminds us that, I mean, that the church has always been surrounded by paganism, always will be surrounded by paganism, but but with the Lord's Word, we have nothing to fear. I mean, Jesus is, uh, is our Savior, uh, no matter if we live in a, quote, Christian society or if we live in the middle of pagan Rome or pagan United States. The Lord is with us, and he loves us, and his blood covers our sins. That's right. Well, I'm going to give Pastor Winter 1,000 points for all of his work on Justin Martyr and also for the walloping on the Iron Preacher. Oh, well, thank you. All right, join us again sometime. And thank you Absolutely. all. thank you all for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the title, Iron Preacher. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely meaningless. <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to question at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.